everybody. Welcome back to The Undiscovered You, a podcast for people who feel like they have so much more to offer, but are somehow stuck where they are. I'm your host, Kimberly Johnston, and this season, we're talking all about playing the hand you're dealt. I'm extremely excited to be joined by Jen Green from halfway across the world, who's going to be sharing her story about playing the hand that she was dealt, moving from being a high-powered lawyer to being an independent consultant over in Asia, coming from the States, through London, and out to Asia. So Jen, a huge welcome. Thanks so much, Kimberly. It's great to talk to you. So let's just talk a little bit about your career. So you did your undergraduate studies and your law school studies in the U.S. Is that right? Yes, exactly. And when you graduated, what happened? Right. When I graduated, I was living in D.C. for law school and I moved to New York City uh, to join a British law firm. And I was there for a year um, before they asked me to move to London. And yeah, and then, um, yeah, I basically kind of from there kickstarted my globetrotting uh, work travels. Fantastic. And what did you specialize in in the law firm in London? Uh, commercial kind of transactional law, so contracts, um, mostly international infrastructure and energy uh, and some finance. Okay. And you decided at one point that you were going to go and you were going to move to Asia and you were going to take this big right turn in your life. Can you tell me a bit about why you did that, what led to that decision and what you were thinking at the time? Sure. Well, it's so funny looking back on it, because I think at the time, I didn't have any idea, you know, kind of what the future was going to hold. I, you know, had been frustrated for a while with work. The kind of, um, yeah, global recession in 2008 had really kind of changed the type of work that I was doing from more kind of building interesting things in in developing countries to, you know, doing more um, kind of support work for M&A and other kinds of uh, other corporate deals. Um, Yeah, and I just found myself feeling a bit, yeah, frustrated, stuck, uh, not really sure kind of what that the future that was staring me in the face was the future that I wanted for myself. I was lucky in that I saw an opportunity to take a sabbatical. And yeah, it was, you know, something that fortunately I had the guts to ask for. It wasn't, you know, something that was suggested or kind of freely given, but um, yeah, I walked into the partner's office and said, I think I really need, yeah, a break from this just to make sure that this is what I really want to do. And then from, yeah, from there, uh, it was basically just two weeks until I flew to Cambodia. Uh, I basically only set out the next couple of steps for myself and wanted to, yeah, actually just deprogram a little bit, deschedule, kind of let it be um, and and just figure things out from there. I hadn't had free time basically since... (laughs) Since before I started university, I went straight from undergraduate studies to law school, um, you know, working every summer uh, and, you know, then to the law firm where I was working, yeah, like huge weeks with very little time for, for myself and to really reflect on what I was doing, what I wanted, yeah, and, and where I thought it was going. So, 
Yeah, for me, that that opportunity to step back um, was, yeah, was huge. Uh, and yeah, I landed in Cambodia, did uh, a few months of volunteer work for uh, a human rights organization that focused on uh, empowering grassroots activists and organizers, which was great. Uh, but I realized quickly that, yeah, the kind of value that I could add as an international lawyer to that organization wasn't really the type of work that I wanted to do. It was a lot of, they really needed was PR and fundraising, very public facing um, and attention getting, which, yeah, you know me a bit, you know, that's not really my personality. So yeah, I decided though to, to kind of stick around and see what else uh, was interesting, you know, what else kind of grabbed my attention. Um, I had at the very beginning of, of planning the sabbatical, kind of this grand vision for, you know, traveling around the world, seeing different areas that I'd never been to before. But once I landed in Cambodia, I realized I just wanted to dig deeper. Um, I wanted to get to know it really well instead of having just this kind of surface uh, interaction with the country and with people. Um, so that was really important to me and, and it resonated. Like once I stopped and thought about it, I was like, yeah, I'm not a person that does a lot of things a little bit. I'm a person who kind of just dives in the deep end with one thing and gets to know it really well. And so, yeah, that to me made sense for, for the type of interactions that I like to have. And so, yeah, I just, you know, kind of took off like all of my sense of obligation to do things in a certain way yeah traveled around the region talking to people learning about coffee because that I found interesting and I I found the way that coffee is traded and grown and, and moves around the world to be a really kind of complex and interesting system um, and that yeah was was interesting to me because I guess yeah the system's work in a similar way to, you know, the way that energy and trade and, and finance kind of move around the world. And so I was like, well, maybe my background in those areas means that I have something that I could add here. Um, so I spent a while just, yeah, trying to learn everything I could about it, finding little ways to, to talk to people to, to see if I could help them with their business. Yeah. And then things kind of took off from there. Fantastic. I, I love the fact that you talked about your future was staring you in the face so it's that kind of reality when you pick your head up, you've been working like a dog and you take that moment to say, where is this going? And I think that moment of self-reflection is so important. And I would argue that anybody listening to this, especially if you're feeling stuck, part of that reason might be because you're going through the daily slog and you haven't taken that moment to pick your head up, look at the future and figure out where you're going and whether you're happy with that. Is that something you want to do? And the part of the reason I was so excited to have you on this was you're one of the people that took that bold step to do something about it. You walked in and I just want to be clear, this was not a paid sabbatical. This was an unpaid sabbatical that you asked to take. You took a huge, you know, huge salary that you were making and you decided actually this is more important, not having that financial security of the monthly paycheck. I'm going to just cash that in and I'm going to move over to Asia. The other thing I love is that, you know, you were volunteering at something that was a very worthwhile organization and you, you know, you were helping them. You could help anybody. You could go work anywhere and you could help them because you're a smart individual. You're capable. You can do that. But you recognize that it wasn't actually using your strengths. And so you went out and you found something and started talking to people, found this coffee business stuff that, I mean, I can tell you back from our days in London, you always knew the best coffee spots. You always made the best coffee. You have always been a coffee girl. So that's something that actually you're able to use that passion 
And you're able to move forward with that using the talents that you possess and using those transferable skills. So another one of our whole seasons is about using the, using the skills to pay the bills, all about transferable skills, which you were able to do. And the last thing I just want to make sure I pick up on that you said was this obligation point. And I think this is so important is so many of us feel that we have this obligation to parents, to society, to friends, to family. We are tied to this weird obligation. It's almost like I studied that. I paid the money to do it. I have to keep doing that. And I think when we can really let go of that obligation and we can think outside the box, think about our passions, think about where we want to go, where we want to end up, that's when we can make those huge turns, buy that ticket to Cambodia, jump on a plane and just start this new life. I just, I mean, I think it was brave. I think it was bold and I think it was amazing. And so first off, well done for doing it. So many of us have not, so well done. Thanks. You know, in a way I feel like the person that I was exactly after I made that decision, you know, I'm just, I guess I'm going to do this and try it and, and see how it works out. And first, of course, I had the possibility of going back, right? The, I was taking a year long sabbatical. The, the deal that we had was that after a year, I would come back. And uh, I joke that, of course, yeah, I, I took a year and went out and, and did some different things. And then I forgot to go back. And of course, it wasn't <laughs> that I forgot to go back. It was that I decided that I didn't want to do anymore. And that was, I think, the bigger decision, which came like a year later. But of course, like I was already in kind of a new life, a new place. And so, yeah, it, it's funny that those two decisions kind of together were the decision, um, but because they happened a bit kind of spread out in time, uh, each one at the time didn't seem like such a big change because they were each like a, a small change in a different part of my life that, yeah, kind of made sense within the whole, the whole thing. But yeah, and looking back, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And you, I mean, you yeah. had that safety net, which I think is really important to, to recognize is Sometimes it is easier to make that first big decision when you have a safety net. So asking, being bold and asking for that sabbatical or saying, you know, can I take some kind of career break or looking at what your organization has available to you to keep that safety net. Another piece of advice I got from one of my mentors was to save up as much cash as you can to pay yourself a salary over a year if you're making a big transition, because that gives you that year to do it. But as I can imagine, you're going to attest that year flies by. Is that, is that right? For sure. I mean, the last, what, nine years has flown by. Yeah, I mean, to your point, you're right. And and I didn't go in to ask for the sabbatical without preparing, right? I, I knew that the group was cash strapped and that not paying my salary would be really helpful for their bottom line. I knew that the type of work that I was doing was work that pretty much anyone could have been doing. And so, yeah, it wasn't something that I was, you know, kind of uniquely needed for. And so I wouldn't be putting them in a difficult spot in terms of my expertise being being gone. We're logical kind of people who have worked in the professional space. And so, yeah, there were, besides many pro-con lists, also, yeah, just like a good kind of set of arguments. And I didn't do it kind of in a vacuum. I'd seen my colleagues, people that I really respected, ask for certain types of work and not get it. I was kind of reading the writing on the wall about what the priorities of the business that I was a part of were. And I wasn't really, I wasn't happy with those priorities. I wasn't happy with how people were being treated. And I didn't see any good reason why I would be an exception to that rule. And so I decided to make myself the exception. 
I love that. And, and what did you draw on? So you said you spoke to some of your, you, you looked around and you looked at other examples. That's one of the things that you did, but you know, when making this decision, who, who did you talk to? Did you, did you turn internally? Did you turn externally? Was it family, friends? You know, what, what was the past experience? What did you draw from? Yeah, I am not actually a person that does a lot of processing externally. So for me, it was quite internal. I think one kind of attribute that I've always had, which I'm very grateful for, is a really deep well of, of trust in myself to kind of see opportunities and to, to take advantage of them and, and to grow with them. When I was doing this, I was like, I really, I don't see any way that this is going to negatively affect my, my future prospects. I think at worst, I did some volunteer work made the world a better place, came back, you know, with a, with a refreshed perspective on, on life and best, which obviously is what actually happened. You know, I, yeah, I found things that I wanted to do more than I wanted to practice commercial transactional law at a big firm in London. And my outlook has always kind of been, you know, that there aren't really any bad choices. There are just different paths that we could all take. I had a friend in college, like once asked me if I had any regrets. And I was like, first of all, I'm like 22. Of course I don't have regrets. I haven't done anything with my life. (laughs) But also that's just not the way I think about life. I don't think, you know, I don't think, oh man, if I hadn't made that choice. I mean, to be fair, I'm hugely privileged. It's so I've been protected from a lot of bad choices because of my birth and my parents and, and the circumstances that I've been lucky enough to, to have in my life. Um, but at the same time, yeah, I think there's, you know, also an aspect of it, which is how you look at things. And if you see things as opportunities, or if you see them as consequences, up to you. And that, and I think that shapes kind of how you move forward through them. Um, and whether you're carrying baggage from decisions that you make as, as mistakes or regrets, or whether you carry them as opportunities that you've taken for future growth, which maybe weren't exactly what you expected, but yeah, were just pathways that you, at the time, thought were the best decision, so... Yeah. They talk a lot about fail forward in companies now. And it's that kind of idea where if something doesn't work out, don't think of it as a failure, cut yourself off, beat yourself up, break yourself down, say, okay, that didn't work because of this. Let's try something different. Or this is what I learned from that process. Or, and and this is what I love the most is when you do a job that you hate, you work out what you don't want to do. And Mm -hmm. within that job, you can find things that you do do that you love or that you're good at and finding a weird strength somewhere that you didn't even know you had, like resilience of doing a horrible (laughs) job. (laughs) So, so you were in Cambodia, uh, got interested in coffee. Uh, Now you're an independent consultant. Tell me, where are you? First of all, I know you're not in Cambodia anymore. Where were you along? I know where you are, but you're going to have to tell our audience. Uh, Tell us where you are now, kind of how you got there along the way. Sure. Yeah. So I'm currently based in Jakarta, Indonesia. Yeah. And I've been here about two years at this point. So I was in Cambodia for eight years. I, I really dragged that <laughs> that retirement out. You said you um, wanted to get deep in there though. So you did it. You were like right. eight years, that's learn the culture. That's right. I did almost every job. I think that, uh, you know, like a, a foreigner from a Western country could do. I, I subbed at an international high school in the theater department. I ran a food tour business. I, I helped, you know, companies kind of transition from foreign ownership to local ownership. I did as much as I could. It was one of those improv things where you just 
say yes and, and then go yes for and. it. Yes um, and. I love it. Exactly. And luckily, like, you know, I had tied up loose ends. And so I paid off my student loans. I didn't have any kind of financial obligations. I didn't have a family or anyone to, to take care of. Luckily, my parents and siblings are in good health. And so, yeah, besides going back to the U.S. and to Europe to visit friends and family once or twice or more times, a few times a year, was really kind of free to do what I wanted. And I didn't have to really focus on any kind of financial baseline. I'd saved up some money, so which I felt good about because I didn't want to just be extracting from where I was. I was really conscious of the ways that white people going to Asia have really just taken advantage and exploited. Um, and I wanted to be really careful and thoughtful about the way that I was interacting with the country and with people to make sure that I wasn't perpetuating those types of power relationships. To have that financial independence was great because it, it gave me space to really figure things out and to dig deeper than just the obvious surface level uh, power relationships and to yeah, see where I could really be valuable, see how to balance that value out with what other people could teach me and to make sure that I was recognizing that. That was yeah, a big part of some work that I was lucky to do with some indigenous groups uh, through World Wildlife Fund. World Wildlife Fund in Cambodia was paying uh, some local villages to um, patrol the natural forest area near where they lived. And that was traditionally, you know, part of their village. Um, and so I went in to do a kind of business study of how they could be financially viable. Of course, they had to kind of pay for a lot of things in order to effectively patrol this forest and to protect it specifically from illegal logging, there's a lot of valuable timber in the, the areas near these villages. And so World Wildlife Fund wanted to protect the biodiversity and, and some rare animals and also animal corridors where animals would transverse back and forth between other parks and protected areas. So I went in and, and, you know, kind of just did a financial analysis, did a priority workshop with the leaders of the village. I had to figure out like, what yeah, what their financial situation was and how much they needed uh, outside support versus how much they could do through, you know, small businesses of their own, things like selling vegetables or mushrooms, uh, what we call non-timber forest products like rattan and vines and things that are not lumber from the forest. That really was something that I was like, okay, like this is something I'm uniquely suited for. Um, I've got skills in analyzing businesses. I can talk to people, I can interpret what they're saying and, and put it in a context that international donors can understand. And so, of course, I was working with a translator, a local guy who really also understood both contexts, which was critical. So that was really the, the gateway that opened the door for me to, to international development consulting. Um, and so that was great. I love, I love what I love about that is it's such an interesting area. And it's something that you just said, you know, I had the skills to do it, but it's not something you've done before. And it's almost like you look at that job spec and you're like, mm, I've never done that. But then actually when you start to unpack it, you have those skills that allow you to be able to do that job. And I think the fact that you said earlier, one of, one of the things that you, you, you really have is that trust in yourself. And I think that's, that's something I would love for our listeners to recognize is that's so important is to trust yourself and to know that you are smart, you are capable, you can work this out. You know, 
part of the reason you're stuck is because you may not be thinking you can do something that you can do. And again, even if you transition to it and it's not something you love, you'll learn something from that experience. And again, you'll learn what you don't want to do. But it sounds like you found something that you actually really enjoyed doing around this kind of international development. So where did that lead you? Yeah, exactly. And I think that an important thing to point out about this as well was that I recognized that I could do this, but also the person who was hiring recognized Mm -hmm. that. And I think that that's something that is actually a challenge um, when you are trying to port skills from one industry to another. Not everyone will will recognize and will value that your skill set is just as applicable in their environment and their kind of circumstances as it was in the last job that you were doing. And that says a lot about them. And so one thing that I used as a tool for myself when applying for consulting jobs and and other jobs was to recognize that, yeah, if someone wasn't really excited to talk to me, that it was because their organization probably wasn't going to be a good fit. Mm -hmm. Um, And that I'm a person who really needs to be around people who are creative, who are flexible thinkers, who adapt to new conditions and who really value someone who can do that as well. And so if I was talking to an organization, they were like, but how do you make sense here? You know, like you haven't worked in this industry before. I was like, okay, you know what? I could try to convince you, but my skills are on the paper. And if that's not what you're looking for, then then that's fine. I'm probably not going to be happy in an organization that is so rigid about requirements and prerequisites and and who really just wants someone who's who's always done that job. You learn that in little ways, I think, throughout your career. Something that really didn't sit with me as, you know, kind of a natural part of how I think of my interactions with potential employers until, until very recently. From there, essentially, yeah, I, you know, had then additional contacts and just felt more confident kind of saying this is now on my resume. You know, sometimes that outside credentialing or third party verifying that you have this skill is become super important just for that credibility with other people. And so, yeah, really like that one foot in the door moment is the one that makes all of the next steps uh, so much easier. And that led to a lot of other kind of uh, small consulting jobs. And then through a, a contact who thought of me when they saw a job announcement and, and sent it to me, I found a, a consulting job with a European development agency uh, in in Indonesia. Yeah, I called them up, talked to them. They were actually not looking for an international consultant. They were looking for a local consultant, but I found their their contact details, invited them to have coffee and just came in with a soft pitch, which was, oh, you know, it's great to hear about this project. I have a ton of contacts in this industry and be happy to tell them about the work that you're doing. Um, in case that's helpful. And yeah, they were like, oh, actually that, yeah, that's super helpful. And what else do you think you could do for us? And and one thing led to another. So it sucks to treat every kind of interaction as a, as a business transaction, but it's also respectful to think about how you can build community with other people. Um, and that's something that's, yeah, been super helpful in terms of mindset is you know, like what we're doing is not us in isolation and I'm, I'm not transacting with you to extract value and to negotiate what I'm worth. I'm here because I believe in this project that you have, this goal that you have. Um, I think it's worthwhile. I want you to achieve it. And if what I can bring to the table is helpful in any way, then, then I will. And I think 
you know, some people call that generosity, some people call that community building, some people call it relationships, but and I think it's seeing people in a non-transactional way, but also seeing how you can use your skills to, to help them get to where they're going. I think that that's in, incredibly valuable. And it always comes back, I think, and, and karma comes back and it, and it helps you out in some way or another, eventually. And I think that that resonates with quite a few stories you've been saying is that kind of mutual beneficial part of things. So when you talked about asking for your sabbatical, you said, you guys need to not pay me my salary. You have other people that can do this. There's a benefit to you. There's a benefit to me. And they were able to agree that same thing is if you have an organization you want to work for and they're looking for somebody locally and you are obviously not a local, go back and say, well, these are the things I have to offer. You know, let me know when I think that's fantastic. It's that mutual benefit that you can bring to the table. It's not all about you and what the company can give you, what the organization can give you. And as soon as you can make that shift in your brain, I think that adds, adds huge value. We talked about that with our mentors as well. You know, in our in our whole season with Marvelous Mentors, we talk about when you approach a mentor, it's not only about what they can give you, but also, you know, why, why do you need them? Yes, but what also do you have to offer? And then it could be that later on you're working on something and you can bring them in on it. Or, you know, it may be that they have a passion that you can add value to. So it's kind of finding finding that common ground. The other thing I just want to touch on really quickly is that rigid thinking that you talked about uh, that some organizations seem to have where it's this fixed mindset. And actually, I just want to say that by having that rigid thinking and that fixed mindset, that's when you miss out on getting in your innovators. That's when you miss out on getting in that diversity of thought. And we talk about the benefits of inclusion and diversity allow you to have that diversity of thought within your organizations allow your organization to make more capital. It is, it's a proven fact that diversity leads to better outcomes financially. And by having that closed mindset, when you look at a CV, I think is, is in this day and age shameful, to be honest, and that people need to recognize that that's why they're not getting innovation. That's why they're not getting diversity of thought. It's because they want somebody that's done the job before in exactly the same way. And they think that's a quote unquote safe pair of hands. A safe pair of hands is somebody who can take that role on, make it better, come up with better ideas. And you're only going to get that by somebody who's not in exactly that role. So that's my little soapbox moment. For sure. And you know this, diverse boards make more money, diverse C-suites are, are more successful. There, there's mountains of evidence that diversity and inclusion in all of its forms, and yeah, we're not just talking about, you know, people with different sounding names. We're not just talking about skin color. We're not just talking about gender. It's it's all kinds of ways that people are, are different from what might be considered historically the norm or the standard. Exactly. It's that kind of step to, to step away from those old mindsets. And that's sure. something that you're working with right now is you're working in the, currently you're working in the gender space um, and doing a bit of work around that. So I know that this is a passion project for you as well. So can you share a little bit about what you're doing with our listeners? Yeah, definitely. Inclusion has always been kind of a, a really important part of what I do. And that's why I haven't stayed at any one job for very long. It's because I think it's really important, especially with my position as a white woman with a higher education in a lower income country uh, with a ton of privilege to actually help others 
take on the work that I've been doing. It's not something that only, uh, you know, an expat needs to do. Owning companies, running consulting work, it's been closed off because it's been that way. And, you know, and other people who are kind of in those networks end up getting those jobs. Uh, and it's, yeah, and it's a huge shame because so much insight into local conditions and, you know, things, nuances, things that you could only really understand if you you know, know local languages and know local contexts really well, yeah, all get lost. And I think that that's made us much less effective, both in business and in government and in, uh, you know, international development and the charity sectors uh, in every way. And so, yeah, definitely it's, it's a theme that I try to make sure it comes up in, in all of the work that I do. And the gender consulting work that I'm doing now is a little bit of, you know, helping companies see how recognizing how gender in their business model in terms of who their customers are or could be, uh, who their suppliers and distributors are or could be. So yeah, having a, what we call a gender lens, looking at how gender is flowing through your business model actually can help you identify where there are opportunities that you've missed. Hmm. If you don't have any women distributors, um, you only have male salespeople going around to sell your product. Not every customer wants to talk to a male salesperson. Hmm. There may be people who feel more comfortable with a female sales representative, someone who looks more like them. And so, yeah, there's all kinds of opportunities. You know, there's a famous one about when cell phones were, were first being marketed, that they were made for male, typical male-sized hands, which were over five inches wide. And that often women have smaller hands, but not just women, actually, like people in different parts of the world have different kind of average sized hands. It was really uncomfortable for a lot of people to hold those phones that were way too big for a lot of people. If you had actually at that time just said, oh, hey, let's test this out on people who are shorter, people who are, are women, people who have different types of jobs, people who are left-handed. Let's see what the problems are with our products with a variety of different types of people using it. And that also goes back to who you hire. If your team internally is diverse, then they'll be able to more easily pick out when you're missing something in terms of how you're designing and pitching your product as well. Some of my work is working with startups. Some of my work is working with VCs and investors to see how they can both have a more diverse portfolio, but also how they internally need to also embody the values of diversity that they're trying to, to gather uh, in terms of their portfolio. There's lots of research about how women invest more in women-led organizations, and there's still a huge funding gap for women founders and women funders, GPs, you know, all of this. So it's really important that people start to take that step. And I mean, I honestly believe that it should be a really basic part of our the business education and the finance education that we're giving people is that, you know, if you're not thinking about gender, if you're not thinking about uh, geographic location, if you're not thinking about disability, if you're not thinking about these things, then you're missing the whole business. You're, yeah. Um, and I don't think that that's something that's acceptable anymore. Yeah, no, I fully agree. And, and it also reminded me of the the seatbelts when cars were first built, they were built for six foot men's uh, seatbelts were built for six foot men and women were just flying through windshields because they weren't being yeah. held in. And it's that kind of thing where if you have a whole bunch of men manufacturing cars, manufacturing, you're going to stick a man in there. Oh yeah, this works great. But you need to, <laughs> you need to put a little five foot woman in there as well, please. 
yeah exactly and and yeah the 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 whole idea of just getting getting different people out there to to market different people trying your products different people coming up and that's how you innovate again it's that diversity of thought and different you, you expand greatly so that's fantastic for sure. Well, and because, you know, women, especially women from minoritized, you know, racial backgrounds have had to live in a white male kind of oriented world, they don't forget to include men <laughs> in their thinking. But they also like, uh, they, they've had to do this their entire lives. I love supporting uh, ventures and, and startups where women, Black women, Indigenous women are leading because they know how to solve problems for the majority, but they also know how to include their own needs and the needs of their community. And that's where the big changes come from. That's a fantastic point to make. So I just want to ask you, the whole podcast is The Undiscovered You. So what have you discovered about yourself through this process? Yeah, big question. So (laughs) much. Let's see. So there's a couple of things, you know, and some of it is just what I want from my job, what I want from the way I live my life, you know, all of those things about needing to be around people who value diversity, value adaptability, value creativity, realized, yeah, like how crucial that is to me and to the type of life that I want to have. What else? Uh, I think that I realized, yeah, just that I don't need to have it all figured out, Mm. (laughs) which is still a struggle sometimes. I think, you know, it's so easy, especially when you're someone who's been a high achiever from a young age to kind of think, okay, I'm good at school. I'm good at sports. I'm going to do the thing that everyone does, you know, that's smart. I'm going to go to graduate school, pursue a professional career, whether it's a doctor or lawyer or whatever. Uh, And then, yeah, you know, kind of like keep following these career paths that, that keep going up and up or what we've been told is up and up. It seems very linear and it all makes sense. And there's a kind of fairy tale esque kind of inevitability about it. And in a way that's really safe and really satisfying, right? That's, yeah, it's wonderful. You have financial security, you know who you are, you know what your job is, you Yeah, you don't have to think about things. Um, And we do this a lot as humans. We have these scripts, we have these roles that we're we're kind of using as shortcuts to avoid thinking deeper about things. Um, And we do this in relationships. We do this with work. We do this all over because, I mean, our brains are optimized for efficiency. And so to the extent that we can take shortcuts and save our brains some, some space and some energy, like we do that. And that, that's what psychology is all about. We learn about all these heuristics and biases and, and shortcuts that our brains take. And then, yeah, the work that we have to do to kind of say, oh, that's a shortcut that my brain took, but maybe that shortcut wasn't the best way to go. You know, maybe that shortcut that said that this shop is better than this other shop because the sign font is prettier or, you know, something doesn't actually mean that it's better quality, you know, and there's all kinds of little ways that we get lazy with ourselves. And I think that, yeah, like making myself challenge those assumptions a lot more and living in places where I wasn't sure what to expect, actually, a lot of times, 
or what I might have expected, yeah, like back home or in Europe was definitely not the, the way that things were going to go. I think that was a huge opening for me to kind of be like, okay, I have my kind of internal resources. I can talk to people around me. I can ask questions. I can seek support. I can, you know, rely on myself to get out of a pickle if I get into one. I can plan ahead, I can do research, I can do all this stuff. And yeah, and, and at the end of the day, like if, you know, if I get on a bus that takes a turn away from where I'm going, I can figure out how, another way to get there. Mm -hmm. I think that that was, it's something that, yeah, sometimes still comes up for me in terms of wanting to plan for the future and wanting to feel like my life is safe and secure and my family is safe and secure and I can support my friends and my, my community. But in some ways, I think that that is also a lie that we tell ourselves. We're never really safe. We're never really secure because our world is set up to make sure that we're not unless we're constantly working and constantly saving and constantly buying. And yeah, we just have this whole system that's set up to make sure that we, we always feel a little bit unsafe, a little bit insecure, um, because that's what drives consumption and capitalism. And I think learning how to be okay with uh, uncertainty about the future, financial, personal, professional, has been a huge part of what I've valued and, and tried to cultivate in myself. And, you know, also make myself help other people who are going through that. There's a lot of mutual aid and, and GoFundMes and like ways that people are looking to fill in the gaps that government and, and society aren't providing for them. You know, I think we all go through a phase of overwhelmed by this, like everyone needs stuff and everyone, you know, is in a bad place. But I think, you know, my focus and my way of dealing with that was to come back and say, okay, what is my community? Where where are the people that are, are pursuing the same things, the, the values that I have are in my geographic and like my physical space? Where are the people that in the quilt of who I am right now? Um, and how can I support them? You know, I order in food during the pandemic from small business owners that I know. I try not to order from chains and big restaurants because while they do provide jobs for people like there, there's just a lot more value going back to the community from smaller businesses and a lot less value being extracted through other shareholders and things. So all of that has, has really come through for me, which has been great. Yeah. I think there's been a lot of discovering, um, you know, insecurities about myself. I think that being a high achiever meant that I never had to really examine who I was or what I thought I was about. And that patched over a lot of deep-seated insecurity for me. And so, yeah, working through that and figuring out what's underneath there was, was, was huge. I'd never really figured out what kind of music I liked before, you know, <laughs> just things like silly things. And no, I feel like I'm not afraid of being more fully myself because I'm not worried about whether it's part of the persona who's the high achiever. Interesting. I'm dying to know what kind of music you found out you liked. <laughs> I'll send you a Spotify playlist. <laughs> okay, too. You can link it to the episode. It'll be that great. Is. Oh, great idea. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think that's fantastic. And I think taking that time out. So interestingly, um, just entering into this pandemic, I think a lot of people had to 
take some time to reflect because there wasn't much else to do. And what's interesting is some people embrace that and started to dig deep and actually examine relationships, examine why they're doing things, examine what their values are, what drives them. And then some people just said, I just want to watch another box set. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, if you want to go on this journey of self-discovery, it can be a bit painful it can take you on a, a, you know, you could see, actually, I'm headed down this path and I don't want to go there. I need to make a right turn, but it's scary. It is mm-hmm. very scary to make that turn. It's very scary to make that decision. And I think sometimes when you're stuck, it's not because you don't have options. It's because you're not willing to take that leap. And so that's something I think we just, uh, you have done brilliantly in terms of taking the leap, finding your path, finding where you want to go, recognizing also that everything doesn't have to tell a story like a resume, recognizing that everything you do doesn't have to be for somebody else. You can let go of those obligations, find your passions, follow them. And just because society says you have to hold a job for X amount of months or years or whatever it is, who cares? Why? Go go and do what you want to do. So I love that. And you know there are, there are certain confines that are within society and you need to recognize those that are beneficial and those that are detrimental. And I just want to ask before, before I let you go, obviously we could just sit here all day, which I would love, but uh, what is, uh, what is the best piece of advice you've either received or heard or given to others? What is, what, what, what is your, what's your best advice? Well, I think the top advice I ever got was actually not given to me, but given in front of me. So I'll count it. And it was when I was babysitting uh, a little girl in my hometown and uh, her Barbies were having a fight and so she said to her Barbie she was like take three deep breaths Barbie and I was like gosh (laughs) from the mouths of babes you know like I was like you know sometimes you really when you're in yeah a hectic situation when you're in a high stress environment when you're in your emotions you're in your feels Sometimes you just need to take a few deep breaths, step back from the situation and evaluate what's really going on. And I think that that unintentionally kind of became my superpower was that stepping back and being able to say, what are we really doing here? What's really going on? Um, And I think that what that does is that prevents you from cycling down a path automatically without really realizing where you're going or why. And yeah, and I think that that's, yeah, saved me a lot of time and trouble. Uh, The other one that I give myself all the time advice is um, to bring into the room the energy that you want the room to have. Mm -hmm. Um, So whenever I'm nervous or I'm stressed or I'm going into a pitch or a meeting, not sure how it's going to go, I try to reset myself at the beginning and be like, How's this, how do I want this to play out? I want it to play out that, that they're listening to me, that they're, they're, they're on the same page as me, that we you know, are gonna have a super productive meeting, just going through this, that everyone's gonna be chill with the timeline and that things are, are gonna go really well. And remembering that you bring energy into every situation that you're in and that you control that. That's one thing. You can't control other people, but you, bring, you can control the energy that you're bringing. Um, and that, yeah, can make a huge difference. 
I absolutely love that. Yeah. And that's that whole kind of emotional sponge. So however, whatever, whatever emotions that you are emitting, people pick them up around you all the time. So that is such great advice. Also, another superpower of yours, which you have not mentioned at all, is being able to pack for a three-week journey in a handbag. I <laughs> Jen is the best packer in the entire world and somehow manages multiple outfits in the smallest, tiniest bag in the world with every toiletry she needs. And it is, I think you need to do some kind of a YouTube video to share that wisdom with the world because it is incredible <laughs> as I drag around my suitcase with me. Thank you. As always, Jen, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for sharing so honestly your story, uh, sharing your passions, sharing how you have transitioned from a really corporate world where you had the structure, the stability, and you've moved into something which has allowed you to explore your passions find your way and actually just impart something upon this world that you otherwise would not have been able to do. So thank you so much for, first of all, taking that right turn, taking that leap and then sharing that story with us. Thank you. Thanks for letting me share. I can just close by reminding all of the listeners that uh, uncertainty is a form of limitlessness. And so when you find yourself in a situation where you're like not sure about the future, that just means that every possibility is open to you. And so, yeah, hopefully that will help someone to, to figure out a way to get, you know, into a situation that is more true to themselves. Fantastic. Great advice. Thanks a million, Jen. Thanks, Kimberly. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Join us next week when I speak to Alejandra Correal about playing the hand she has been dealt. If you're looking for a coach, please do get in touch via the Undiscovered You podcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to follow, subscribe, like, and comment below. And I hope that you are one step closer to discovering the Undiscovered You. Mm-hmm.